Welcome to Chinuch Today with Rabbi Yerachmiel Garfield, where we highlight innovative ideas and inspiring people from the world of Chinuch. Welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today. This is Yerachmiel Garfield, and today's episode is going to check a number of boxes. First of all, it's the first time we're ever going to have a general, a real general on. We're going to have General Shimi Weinbaum. Rabbi Weinbaum is the head general of Tzivos Hashem, Chabad's youth education arm. And we're going to have uh, a great conversation about so many amazing projects that he's doing. These projects are not for Chabad children only. They are for all of Klal Yisrael. And that's what makes the second box that this podcast checks so meaningful. Because part of my intention of getting the word out on different programs is to really cross as many lines as I can in terms of different communities and make sure that everyone knows about each other's ideas and could share ideas and build on ideas and really unite Kalal Yisrael in an effort to find the best opportunities for our children. So today, for those of us who were less familiar with Siva Sashem and the Chabad education arm, you are going to learn about a significant and amazing program that they have where they take all of mitzvos and learn them over a number of years in a beautiful way with wonderful books and tests and incentives and all sorts of bells and whistles through an app and a website called thechidon.org. And you'll also hear about a new and exciting, very innovative project to bring these mitzvos to a new level. And that is through the use of VR. Towards the end of the interview, you will hear about their virtual reality program. They currently have it for the Beis Migdash. We used it in our school where children get to explore the Beis Migdash by wearing special goggles that bring the Beis Migdash to life in a real, real way. And he has begun a multi, multi-million dollar project to bring all of the mitzvahs to virtual reality so children can explore and experience every mitzvah in the Torah in a personal real and relatable way. So it's a true honor to introduce to you General Shimmy Weinbaum. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today. This is another Chinuch Today first. We've never had a general, a real general on our program. It's an honor to welcome Rabbi or General Shimmy Weinbaum. Welcome Rabbi Weinbaum or General. What do you want me to call you, General? Shimmy is great. <laughs> Way to avoid the challenge, Shimmy. No, we'll call you General. It's more fun. More sh- okay. Shake it up a little. General, where are you broadcasting from right now? Where do you live? Crown Heights. Is oh, lovely. very nice. Okay, have you lived there all your life? Absolutely not. I grew up in London, England. What? Wow. So what brought you to the shining uh, star United States? Actually, when I grew up, most of my life, I had hoped and planned to go somewhere in the world of Schlichus. We always wanted to be in a remote town. One of the things when my wife and I dated was we didn't ask each other whether we would or would not go on Shlachas, but rather, is there any place in the world that you would not go on Shlachas? That's a good question. What when, was the answer? As long as we knew that that's what the Rebbe wanted, we would go anywhere. Antarctica. That neither I or her dreamt of, and that was Crown Heights. That was not on the agenda. Is she from London also? Long Beach, California. Nice. I grew up in Long Beach. Both and of your parents are Chabad, obviously. Well, yes. My parents 
are became close to Chabad. My father's a dentist, actually. Nice. So he, did he grow up not as uh, Orthodox, not as from as he is now? He grew up from his father's a sheikhet and a mayal was, I should say. In London. In London. And um, my mother did, didn't grow up as religious. Once you get to know Chabad, it's all over. Wow. Yeah, he really, really, when, when he got to know my mother and saw the connection that she had with the Rebbe and... Really? So your mother, although she was a Baal's Tshuva, became a Kurov through Chabad. Did your father have a relationship personally with the Rebbe? Did he come to Crown Heights and meet him? Or Absolutely. And they became very, very strong citizens of the Rebbe. When the Rebbe spoke about having children, they went all the way. We ha- I have 13 siblings. Whew, wonderful. Wonderful. I didn't know that was one of the values the Rebbe spoke of. That was an initiative of... Tremendous. Of this um, Rebbe, of the last Rebbe, the other ones weren't as, uh, it's a new thing? It wasn't one over the other. It's just, mm. they Rebbe spoke very strongly about family planning. I mean, my mother was, is very involved in the community. I grew up when my mother ran the Tzivah Hashem in the United Kingdom. Wow. And so I grew up packing 10,000 newsletters to send out to the children. That was what happened in our dining room. And uh, came Hanukkah, she put up big giant menorahs in Gold Screen Station. Purim, we packed 4,000 Mishleach Manas boxes. It was before Corona. Back then, she was uh, over 40, 45 years ago, she was already doing Purim in the box. Yeah, so it's we, we grew up with this uh, incredible passion to do whatever we can to help Yidin around the world, especially. Did you, did you have an opportunity to meet the Rebbe yourself? It's a fascinating story, actually. I grew up, I was six years old when I went to the Rebbe the first time. When I went there, I had a private audience with my father and myself, which was very rare in 1980. It was already kind of stopped at that point. But I was blessed to have that special audience. And we'll speak about that a little later because it was very frustrating for me because when I went into the Rebbe, I know my my father wrote down what happened in that in that audience. I was going to say, I'm surprised you remember when you were six. You know, that's uh... so I didn't remember much, <laughs> but I do remember my father writing it down. And there was decades that I had asked my father for what happened in that audience. And even though he's so meticulous at keeping everything in his life from when he was in school, he happened to have lost that one. And so, did you meet the Rebbe other times besides that? Absolutely. From when I came back from my bar mitzvah, and then I later on after that um, was actually this year is the year of Hakel, and um, it was the year of Hakel in Tavshim Memches, and because uh, that's eighty eight, I think. Correct. Yeah. And some people had come back from the rabbi, and they brought back a video of what they experienced there, and I saw that, and I'm like, I'm never staying in England again. For a Tishrei, and then from then on, every Tishrei I went to the Rebbe and many other times in between. And um, then later on, I came to learn in Crown Heights in Ale Teira. Is that what brought you to America? Like you to go to high school or yeshiva? I came to yeshiva for two years to learn here. Then I went on Shluchas to Kfar Chabad for a year. Then I went to South Africa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Kfar Chabad in Eretz Israel? Correct. Who needs you to go to there? Shlichus. You can't go to Kfar Chabad. That's like going to the Rebbe's oil for Shlichus. You have to go to somewhere exotic, no? So the way it works as Bachrim is that the yeshivas in New York send out Bachrim to 
yeshivas all around the world, including Kvar Chabad. Really? Actually, it's fascinating because what you're saying is true. There was so much that we, Ashlochim, gained in the Shlachas in Kvar Chabad. But at the same time, there was a certain energy that I would say that came from the American boys um, and people who had been by the Rebbe more than these boys had. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be, you know, the time that I went was Tafshin Nonhei, 1995. So that, that era was a time where everybody was like holding on to, like, you know, after what had just happened, everyone was holding on to uh, what ever they could from people who had a connection to the rabbi. Right, so, so you had such a personal connection, you meant, it meant a lot to them. Is that why they chose you? How did they cho- How did they choose who got to go? Like, do you know why you got to go to Kfar Chabad? I don't know what their ideas were, but they, I, I, felt, I was very blessed to have gone there because, as I said, I gained tremendously from being there yeah. as well. The next year I went to South Africa. Now we're uh, talking. A group of guys went to South Africa for following that year in um, in Eretz Yisrael. And then the year later, came back to 770th at Smicha. And then we got married. And uh, after I got married, I like I said, we were for sure going out on Shlachas. That was like a given. And then the the administration in Siva Sashem headquarters asked me if I would stay on and help you know run programs from, from headquarters. And... Um, why did they ask I, you? Besides I, your mother, your yichus through your mother, but why do you think they asked you? Very blessed to have to, to to have a lot of energy, and already from before I got married, I was already doing a lot of tzivus Hashem mm. um, programs for, for on my own, so to speak. And it was the time that they started to build the Jewish Children's Museum, and they were looking for someone who would be able to focus on tzivus Hashem while their focus turned to the museum. Not all of our listeners are familiar as Chabad as you and I, so maybe we just could tell them what Sifas Hashem, Bekitzer, when we say you got involved in Sifas Hashem, what does that mean? Wow, that's like a bombshell. That's how we roll, my friend. That's how we roll. I think that the best way to address that would be quoting a letter that the Rebbe wrote to an educator who wrote to the Rebbe asking why he established Sivas Hashem. Perfect, yes. In a certain sense, I would even say that he was attacking the Rebbe for establishing Sivas Hashem because in his words, Torah is it's all about tranquility and peace. And Sivas Hashem literally means the army of Hashem. And what the Rebbe was appealing to the children is telling them what it says in Chumash, that all the Jewish people are referred to as Hashem's army. And the Rebbe explained to the children why, because we all have an inner conflict. We have a Yitzhahara and a Yitzhah And in order to be able to serve Hashem properly, we need to be conscious of that inner conflict. Hmm. And recognize that there is a war going on. There are some people, some, not many, but there are some people in Eretz Israel who believe that there is no war. The Arabs would be very happy to get along with all the Jewish people. And if we put down our weapons and we would have no weapons at all, and we wouldn't fight, then there'll be peace. Now that's a very uh, extreme left view. 
But uh, most of us understand that if Eretz Yisrael did do that, what would be? And we could live in illusions, but really, if we're not aware of the constant war that's going on in Eretz Yisrael, then things would be very different. So I just I remember when I was in Eretz Yisrael, I went to, to Hebron and I was going around over there and I one of the soldiers on guard was standing there. We were speaking to him and then... All Did he put sudden, on tefillin yet? It's fascinating. We asked him to put on tefillin, and uh-huh. he, said, he said that he couldn't do it while he, at the moment while he was guarding, not allowed to do that. But we, we should come back later. But then all of a sudden he pushed us to the side, and he, then he turned back and started screaming and shouting and yelling and running. And we were like, when he, when everything was over, we, he we, he came back to us. He said, "I'm sorry about that." And we asked him what happened, and he pointed out how down there in the bottom of the hill is an, an Arab boy, and um, young boy, 11 years old, 12 years old, um, and he said, like, this, is, this is what they do. They, they're, they're paid a lot of money to come in, and um, at any moment in time, if he got by me, God forbid what he would have done to people in, in Hebron. Wow. Um, and I said to him, wow, that's so incredible how focused you were, even while talking to us, but unaware of what could happen at any moment. And I said to him, when the Rebbe spoke to the children about that we're soldiers in Hashem's army, he said that we need to learn from a regular army how Hmm. Hashem's army should function. And what you just taught me is how we have to always be alert. There's never a moment that the Yitzhar is not trying to put thoughts into our mind that are not what Hashem wants or feelings into our heart that are not what Hashem wants. And a lot of times what happens is when we're not aware, we're not conscious of this war, then the thought comes into our mind, the feeling comes into our heart, and actually we start to associate with that thought and that feeling as it's ours. We don't look at it that this is an enemy attacking us. You know, I have to be honest. I was in Sivas Hashem as a kid. My rank is private. I think that's the lowest rank, right? I think that's, I was a private. That's the rank of a regular soldier. Once you go up in rank, you become an officer. Okay, I, I don't remember past private. I got those little cards in the mail. It said private on it. I remember we used to get cards. I had a sticker on my window. But I never knew that that's what it meant. I thought it was more like an army doing mitzvahs. I didn't think of it as an army battling the Itzahara. Although, of course, they're related. But, uh, I never appreciated that nekude, you know, that you're bringing out now. So it's good. I. So we, we're, we're, that's definitely, you know, the huge part of the challenge, which is that this educator was presenting to the Rebbe, which is, listen, I understand that Torah mitzvahs, uh, we're learning Torah, we're doing mitzvahs, but why bring in this war element? Why bring in the fighting? Got it. The Rebbe actually responded in the most phenomenal way. Um, the Rebbe says that when it comes to any challenge we have in life, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual, unless it's an acute emergency, one needs to get to the root of the challenge. And the Rebbe says, in my opinion, the root challenge we have with today's youth is the lack of Kabbalah's oil, of accepting of authority. Mm. And not just the authority of heaven, but rather even the authority of children accepting the authority of their parents 
all their teachers, and then the Rebbe says, and a child that has a sense of cockiness and bent of mischief can even even feels he can outsmart the cop on the beat or the judge on the bench. Now you have to realize we're going back over 40 years, and in that time, when we were growing up, we we were, I would say, petrified of our parents, teachers, and you know, we that that was a very different era. And right. here they're saying that the root challenge is that children don't accept the authority of their parents or teachers. What was fascinating is that we look around now, everybody can connect with that idea in a very relatable way of children not wanting to accept the authority of their parents. But the Rebbe says, I thought long and hard, how do you change the nature of the child? And then the Rebbe says, I, writes, I came to the conclusion that there's no other way other than creating a system of discipline and obedience to rules. But for this to work, there was one caveat. It had to be done without coercion. Because children are not going to be forced. You can't force the children to accept a system of discipline and obedience to rules. We just established that's the root challenge of today's youth. They don't accept their authority. But if you create the system of discipline and obedience to rules, and then you get the child to accept it upon themselves, that actually uses the word, you induce the child to accept it upon themselves. Then you can have the discipline, you can have them accepting authority of their parents and teachers, and by extension, Hashem, then they, they, they're not being forced into it, they're doing it because they want to. And what's the model? What's the model for that? Where do, children, where do people volunteer to join an incredible system of discipline? That's the army. Rebbe's idea was we need Kabbalah's oil. But in today's age, we can't force you to do it. And that's not what Kabbalah's oil is. Kabbalah's oil means accepting. It doesn't mean like the ox, you put the yoke onto the, onto the animal. We don't do that to the children. They're not animals. We need to, and that's what maybe didn't work in the last generation when, we, when they tried to put the yoke onto us rather than getting us to accept it upon ourselves. So here we create in Sivas Hashem, an incredible system of discipline, but it's self-discipline. It's one that the child is induced to accept upon themselves. Wow, I never knew the Rebbe was the architect. I feel very honored to be able to implement the incredible vision that the Rebbe had. So at that time, so this is like 1980, right? Around that we're, that he created this? He actually was very, very strong about the fact that he didn't create anything. Okay. He, Really having children identify with what the what the Yidden are called in, in, in when they went left to Mitzrayim. He actually went back to say that the first soldier in Tzivus Hashem was Avram Avinu, and boy was he a soldier with tremendous mysterious nefesh. The first child in Tzivus Hashem was Yitzchak, but he did formulate this idea that uh, where, where children should really see themselves as soldiers, and in 1980. And his idea was that the children should go up in rank. That was very new. That was the Rebbe's brainchild, how the children should go up in rank for doing their missions and earn medals. Right. This is very much. I remember that. It was very progressive. 
I'm very attractive. So who did he tell that idea to? Who took the idea to fruition? You were still a little young at the time. So who uh, who was the the first general, I guess? The Rebbe initiated this officially on Cholomite Sukkot, Tafkin Aleph, 1980. And at that point in time, within during that year, Rabbi Binyaminson was appointed the one in charge of Tzivus Hashem, mm-hmm. and he still is. He's the executive director. What a boring title. Yeah. He's still the executive director to this day? Absolutely. A wonderful man. He's the one who's uh, also the executive director of the Jewish Children's Museum. Wonderful. Incredible. One of the incredible projects he's done. And yeah, and I have the incredible schuss to work with him. So when you took over Tzifa Sashem, or initially you were just brought in to, to help with a part of it, it sounds like, was it similar? That I assume it's evolved over the time from then till now. Baruch Hashem, it's evolved tremendously. So tell me a little about how you brought it to where it is, or what are some of the things that happened along the way, and then we'll focus on the specific program that attracted me to reach out to you in the first place. So really, when Sivas Hashem started in, in the 1980s, their only real way of reaching the masses was through the mail. Right. We used to get so like a newsletter that's or something. Why you got that mailing from Sivas Hashem. Right. I remember. And, uh, you know, at that time, to be able to send mailings out to 100,000 children in the 1980s was huge. And Baruch Hashem, it was because this was the campaign of the Rebbe at that time. It was a huge campaign, but it, it really boiled down to children getting a newsletter five times a year. And in the newsletter, there was missions for a child to go to shul on Yom Kippur and eat matzah on Pesach. And while the newsletter was attractive and people appreciated getting them at home, some people of the more religious felt like they were already doing that and like that wasn't so motivating. It didn't necessarily bite to actually start doing missions. Well, there were many that did. And then when they did, they got like a sticker when they went up in rank and that was also sent to them in the mail. So that was uh, what it was like for many years. And then in addition to that, Sivas Hashem did a lot of programs to motivate children to, to do um, learn Torah and do mitzvahs, etc. Um, when I came in, I really went, was asked to go back to the Rebbe's talks about Sivas Hashem and really get a really good picture of what does the Rebbe really, did the Rebbe really have in mind? Remember, this is in 1999 that I'm coming in. And so I'm going through the Sikhs, and it's very, very clear that from learning the talks that the Rebbe spoke to the children, the things we spoke about earlier, how the Rebbe really wants the child to identify as a soldier of Hashem. He wants to recognize that Hashem is really recruiting him into his army. Yilchem, in the Rambam's words, Yilchem Molchem Hashem, is a soldier fighting the war of Hashem, to be conscious of this battle with the Yitzhahara, and to be able to, so many different talks of the Rebbe, of how to respond to the Yitzhahara when the Yitzhahara attacks, and uh, what happens if we fail in the battle, then what? And it's amazing how the Rebbe literally goes into every parsha when he spoke, he always quoted from the Torah, and how the Torah is a lesson for us, is our army guidebook of how to be able to come back to Yitzhahara. Beautiful. Look at all of that and we say, listen, this is a mailing, a mailing club, so to speak, is not doing it. 
We really need to have army bases around the world that are training soldiers. I mean, which army would run like a mailing club? That This doesn't work. And uh, we really need proper army bases. And then really thinking about, like, what are we going to do? We're going to create an army base in Texas. We're going to create an army base in England. And then when we started to realize that the real training that children are having is primarily in their house and in their school. True. So in essence, we really have army bases around the world. I should say Hashem really has army bases around the world. And they are incredible army bases, but they sometimes don't have that identity. Like the child doesn't have the identity of being a soldier. The school doesn't have the, the identity of being an army base or the home. And the children don't see their parents as their commanders or their teachers as their commanders. But if we can change that, then all of a sudden, boom, we have thousands of army bases around the world ready in motion. And that was the first big change that we went to, that we were going to work through the homes, through the schools. Obviously, these are from a homes. When it comes to a house or a school that are not yet from, it's slightly different. But this is right. a big approach that we took then. Do you remember in, in the early days, what percentage of kids were from Chabad homes versus non-Chabad homes? The same as now. It's very, very much, I would say, 5, 6, 7% Chabad. Really? Even now? I would think the world has become more polarized. No. No, this is not... This is very important to, to establish. Sivis Hashem has no word of Chabad in it. It's right. really Hashem's army. There's nothing, nothing Chabad about Sivis Hashem. So obviously if there's a Chabad school, they will infuse the children, which whatever they do in, uh, they do in Chabad schools anyway. But a school that's not Chabad, there's nothing in Sivis Hashem related to Chabad. I'm struggling with this a little, so let me drill down a little for a second. I don't know of any non-Chabad elementary schools that have anything to do with Tzivah Hashem. Let's clarify this for a second. Let's make sure we understand this properly. You have a school. I have a school. Now imagine that you knew about the Tzivah Hashem app that was available to your school. And you look through the missions that the children do on that app. You will not see one mention of anything Chabad in it. You will not see any kind of Chabad customs in those in those apps. Because the way the app is built is that there are different tiers. There's things for there are children who are go use that app who are go to Hebrew school. There's children that go to Litvish schools. There's children that go to Hasidic schools and children that go to Chabad schools or there's children that go to Really? Many different ty- types. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, I'm really shocked. So this is really um, the, a very, very much catered to all Jewish children. And the way it works, the way the app works, is that just like in school, you have different subjects. So you would never give the child a report card in your school to say that between Chomish, Gemara, Mishnayis, and Hanhaga, behavior, or, or Tefillah, for davening, here's one mark for everything they do in school. Obviously not, because you would have no idea where they're home. So you've separated your school into subjects. Correct. We do the same. It's called campaigns in the army. And every campaign 
has a series of up to 10 medals that the child could earn. So for davening, they can earn 10 medals throughout their entire elementary experience. Now, if they daven well today, they're going to get a mission. If they daven well tomorrow, another mission. And if they do all of their missions every single day throughout the entire elementary experience, then they can earn all 10 medals for davening. Wow. But davening is not Chabad. So you're telling me based on the usage, because you know this, obviously, it's and not Chabad. Not only based on the usage, what I'm saying to you is if I would be able to have the experience maybe after this interview of showing you the app, You'll be floored. It's the most incredible thing. Is the app the main tool that Tzivah Hashem uses to get out the word and connect with children? It's actually a brilliant question because what we've realized in today's day and age is that every community is very different. So, for example, we deal with communities that will not allow smartphones into their community. Right. And therefore... The whole way Tzivist Hashem works in that community is by paper. In other words, everything that the child would see on the app, they see on a paper. And every week when the papers are printed out, whatever would be updated on the app is updated on the bottom of their paper. So you can't say that this is the way it works for everybody. But for someone who does use, use a smartphone, it is an amazing tool for the children to constantly see, like when the child walks in, goes into the app, and they see for davening, that if I daven well for the next five more days, that's when I'm going to get my next medal, or 20 more days, or whatever it may be, and it says clearly when they can get their next medal, then they're very driven, and that's the idea, self-motivated to get every mission that they can. So, does the app help? Yes. Do the papers help? Yes. But what really helps is the culture in the school. Is it the most cool thing, the most important thing for a child to earn the highest medal possible in each campaign? If that's the most important thing for to be promoted in rank and to get the highest medal possible, then I want that. I want to go up in rank. Then I want to get, put children on an app. But they don't see that as the most important thing in their life. So when you do a promotion ceremony in a school, it really depends how you do it. Napoleon said a man would give their life for a ribbon. But the question is not a ribbon that you walk into the store and say, can you cut me a piece of ribbon? What does that ribbon represent? So it depends what the school do, what chashivos, what honor they give to that medal. We actually looked at the Rebbe's letter about inducing a child. It's a very interesting word. Like, What's the Hebrew word, the Yiddish word? The English letter. And the Rebbe's using this word, inducing a child. I've heard inducing a child when they're born. Right. But when do you ever hear the word induce? And the Rebbe's saying no coercion, no force, but it needs to be induced. And we've gone through the different levels of motivation that really talk to a child. And really what's fascinating, while we do have many prizes, there's weekly raffles, every three months there's a huge grand raffle, every year a bigger raffle for the year, depending on how many missions you've done. We have a Chinese auction. We do amazing, amazing um, trips and things like that, which are very exciting. But that's the bottom of the pyramid. 
what really starts to motivate the children is the feeling of success. When a child does their first 15 weeks of missions and they get that medal and they were presented it in the most incredible way at a medal and rank ceremony, they are so driven to get have the next level of do 20 more weeks to get their next medal. So it really, really is the next level is success. And then there's the next level, which is honor. Who honors children? We do. <laughs> and, and with tremendous honor. And that really motivates them. But then there's another level higher, which is a sense of belonging. When the children feel that they belong to an army, that there's hundreds of thousands of children in it around the world, and they're all doing the same thing, and each one wants to be a higher rank. And if you go on the leaderboard, you can see who's higher. Then uh, the reality is that the the sense of belonging is very, very powerful. It brings a sense of pride and um, very a sense of connection. These are all basic things that children are craving for, but don't always exist in the Jewish world mm. without this. And then ultimately... The highest part of the pyramid is the sense of purpose. And I think this blows everything out of the park. You see, when you turn around to a child and you say, you have a Yetzirah, and you have to battle your Yetzirah, the natural response is, what if I don't? What if I don't? So if there's a soldier in heaven and he says, what if I don't? You know the natural repercussions. What's going to happen? God forbid. But me, what's the difference? So I didn't win my Yitzhahara today. Is that the end of the world? This is what the Rebbe actually said to the public school children, not the from children, the public school children. And before Memalaf, before 1980, when they got together for a Sukkot rally in the Sukkot in 770, he said to the children that each time you foil the plot of your Yitzhahara, that foils the plot of somebody who wants to hurt a yid, an individual, a community, or wow. even an entire country. Wow. Now, when you tell that to a child, that when your battle actually protects the yidin around the world, like soldiers in Eretz Yitzchel are doing it begashmis physically, when you actually foil the plot of your Yitzhara, you're protecting, that gives the child such a purpose. sense of responsibility and empowerment. Right. That's a real purpose when you tell the child that you can actually make a physical difference in this world. And even more so when you tell the child that through what you're doing, that's going to bring Mashiach. What greater purpose is there than that? So there's really, if you look at it as a pyramid, we've really looked into what levels will induce the child. And really... If a school takes this on, but they don't really, if you want to call it, induce the children by really giving them that sense of feeling that you're a real soldier, that Hashem is relying on you. What does that mean? Hashem is relying on you to fight his war? And, and, and you don't give the children the feeling of success, or you don't give them the honor, or you don't give them the sense of purpose, then you get what you put in. Yes, you uh, know. What ages is it aimed for? When it comes to school, yeah, it's we're starting at, at five years old, five, six years old in school. And that's an eight-year program that really goes through till seventh grade. Very nice. And boys and girls equally, can I, I assume it's equal. 
Yeah, obviously what the girls are responsible to do is not the same as what the boys are responsible to do. And what's really, as I mentioned before, what's really amazing about this is how it's catered to so many different demographics because this is Hashem's army. And obviously, if the Jewish people are the way they are, then this is what Hashem wants. So if someone has a Sephardi you know, background and they need to do their Sephardi Minhagim, then Sivis Hashem for them is doing that. And if someone is more in the Litvish community, then Sivis Hashem for them is doing what they do in their community because that's what it is. It's Hashem's army. How do you communicate to the kids this idea of fighting the Sahara? I know that the missions relate mostly to, you know, actions, mitzvahs, kiyama mitzvahs, fulfillment of different ideas. But then when does the chinuch come that that's really a focus on the Sahara? additionally? Is that part of the chinuch of the program? We have a movie series that we started to create called The Quest for Oiz. Oiz is in Torah is called Oiz. It's it's really a quest for power. Power, yeah. Um, it's really an amazing series that we, please God, will be able to continue. We made eight episodes, and please God, will make more. Are they cartoons? But, or are they what, what's no? The, it's a movie series. Wow, woo, general. Those are very expensive yeah, to produce. A, the Torah taught us that we'll get into that soon when we get to the Torah VR part with the Chidon um, that's also very expensive so let's go there because uh, I do want to get to all the different aspects of this I, I didn't realize how interconnected they are I'll mention what attracted me to reach out to you is these amazing books these Yadus books, I have one here uh, beautifully produced I believe Rabbi Ginsburg, who was my second grade Rebbe actually played a big role in writing it, Rabbi Yom Ginsberg. Very, very much was a big part of the team, and we would never have been able to do that without him. We were very blessed that Mr. George Rohr was a very, very big sponsor of of this, of the Yadus and then the Chidon. This was our way of moving into connecting with children. You know, sometimes we talk about giving them prizes and our success and honor, Sometimes they just want a, a colorful book that's presented properly to them rather than a black and white, you know, piece of paper that's being photocopied of a photocopy of a photocopy. So, so tell me about this. I mean, this is obviously not the app. These are, what is it, six books? Five books. Five, five books, books that go through all the mitzvahs, I believe. Is that right? 613 mitzvahs. It's called the Sararoyadus curriculum, and it goes through all 613 mitzvahs. And what what we've done with this is that in fourth grade, the child learns book one. In fifth grade, they learn book two. And by eighth grade, they've learned all five books. Amazing. Now, there's a very big difference. We actually noticed this, that there are schools that have implemented this as part of their curriculum. But they're nowhere near as successful in reaching the children as most of the children in the Chidon who do not learn this in their curriculum, they learn this in their own spare time. Because the child, when they're in school, they're there because they have to be there. But the child who's taken upon themselves to learn for the Chidon and to master all 613 mitzvahs over five years, they're doing it because they chose to be in it. Beautiful. Voluntary program. And this goes back to this idea of Kabbalah's Earl, self-discipline, for a child to sit and learn 
for five years straight, all five books, is a tremendous amount yeah. of self-discipline in their spare time. Right. These books are a tremendous asset to this program because because of the way they're written and the, the, the graphics and everything else involved, they're very appealing. The child actually feels in, like it's enjoyable to learn Absolutely. rather than finding it difficult to learn. They're beautiful. For those, obviously you can't see them, but on the podcast, but they're beautifully designed. You could tell the, the investment in, in money and in design and production. These are top quality works. I mean, really beautifully done. So, so, so how does it work? You, do you give tests once a month or something? Or? So the way the Chidon works is, first of all, our motto of the Chidon is every child, every mitzvah. Beautiful. So we really, the goal is to have every child and the Jew, Jewish child. But the reality is that there's differences between children. Not, some are more studious than others. Some have a different level of brain than others. And the reality on the ground is if you want to reach every child, and we have what we've done is we've created four different tracks. Oh wow! So this way, also time-wise, to some children, they're just so stressed from school and everything else, they don't have an hour a day to sit and learn. Or if they had it, they, it's too much for them. Right. So the different tracks allow different levels of involvement and levels of testing. Beautiful. So it's 15 minutes a day. 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, an hour a day. And there's different levels of rewards as well. If you're going for the highest level, there's there's a lot of children, over a thousand children who are involved who go for the trophies because there's three children in each grade who get a gold, silver, or bronze trophy for the top three grades. And those, those children really compete for that. Those children are putting in at least an hour a day. There's other children who are going for a certificate and some children in the middle for a plaque or a medal, depending on what track they're going for. And um, How many started, kids are doing are participating in this program? Huh. Thousands? This, this, that's a moving target. You know, nine years ago, we had 45 children. And it was amazing because, you know, we did tell the children, anyone that participates would be able to, uh, around the world, would be able to come and experience a beautiful trip together. And we were able to motivate 45 children to do this in their spare time. But they had an amazing experience. And uh, we they were all saying thank you at the end. It was so amazing. And we said, you want to say thank you? Get one more friend involved. So the next year, we had 229 children. And to cut a long story short, now nine years since, uh, and uh, we have over 7,000 children. Now. Wow. Uh, that's just the beginning. It's really it, the children just bring more and more. And again, it's all coming from within. It's not, you know, there's children today who are participating in the Chidan in over 300 schools. Wow. And the way it reaches that many schools is because each child, sometimes one child comes and gets involved, and before you know it, they're getting their friends and their family. Could, could and, individual students be involved if the school isn't a participating school? 100%. 100%. So anyone who's listening to this, if they want their child to participate, these books are beautiful, and you get to learn Judea's knowledge of all the 613 mitzvahs. It's really a beautiful thing. It really is, but I do want to reiterate very much like what we spoke about with Sivas Hashem before. The difference between a child doing this in a vacuum on his own or the support from the school is a different world. Right. Imagine a child feeling honored in front of their whole school right. that they do all 613 mitzvahs. That's priceless. Right. 
obviously the school's involvement makes a big difference. And uh, we don't want to wait till a school signs up to, to be able to make them you know, official a part of the Chidon for a child to be able to join. So, of course, we accept everybody. But it's very much it, the difference when it's done in a school. It's a world of a difference. I think schools underestimate their ability to impact the children. And sometimes it's not that they, they, they can't. They're just missing the tools. And the way we see it, we're just providing tools. And resource. I love, I love it. I agree with you. I've always been impressed by when you give children a challenge, they're eager to rise to it. And you think, you know, could they do more? Could they do more? Yeah, you put up Mishnayis or you, you say at a special learning program on a Thursday night or a Sunday or some program like this, and uh, kids really acclimate. They want it. They, they rise to the occasion. I'm going to say something that may be a little bit radical, but Maybe I shouldn't be saying this on the podcast, but I can't tell you that we had the faith in the children that they provided for us. When we had the first time that there was 45 children and then we tell them, bring a friend, we didn't believe the next year there'll be 229 children. We didn't right. believe them. They proved us. They children proved us how eager they really, really are. But I think that all of this has been a little bit of an introduction, really nothing close to the new partnership that we have with Torah VR. Because honestly, when people look at those books, and they, they did cost millions to create, and it was unbelievable for its time. You know, go back 10 years ago to create a book like this was unheard of. The new Chidon is a whole different world. And I believe you've seen the Torah VR. Is that I correct? did. We had it here, and I had an opportunity to experience it myself. And maybe you could tell us a little about it. I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but... Tell me a little about uh, the VR component. So we are very blessed to have a partnership with this incredible company doing the Torah VR. And right now they have on the roads the Mikdash idea that you go through the base of Mikdash and the children can experience being in the base of Mikdash. And it actually keeps getting updated now. There's a new version. Just looked at Mikdash 3. It's like incomparable to Mikdash 2. Constantly growing and it's unbelievable. But in addition to the that experience, this is really being built around taking all of the mitzvahs, not just the mitzvahs that apply in the base of Mikdash. That's our first frontier, doing the mitzvahs related to the base of Mikdash. But Mirza Hashem, all 613 mitzvahs will be made into VR. And this way, this again, it's another way you can motivate children to learn or you can make learning exciting. So... What's a better way to give them a prize or a schar mitzvah mitzvah where they actually love the experience when you put this headset on the children and they learn about the Menorah. As soon as they're in the Kodesh, they say, wow, that's how small the Menorah was. I always thought it was so much bigger. And they're standing next to the Mizbech and they say, wow, this is massive. You, when, you, when they take it off, when the headset comes off, they said, now there's going to be so many more people in the Chidon because Learning is really, it's not just learning with incentives, because Chidon does provide a lot of incentives, but it's more making the actual learning fun and exciting. The interactions, it's not just that they're in the base of Mikdash and learning about it by seeing it, but it's more the experiencing, those activities that they can yeah, do. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's immersive. For those who don't know, VR, you put these goggles on, and everywhere you look, when you turn your head, you're immersed in the experience. And 
it also has the opportunity to manipulate things. So, for example, I used the bow and arrow. They gave me the demo where instead of just pressing on the right answer when they give you options, you literally have these, like, almost gloves. I forgot how it works with your hands. You pick up a bow and arrow and you physically pull it back and let it go, and it shoots. That's It's remarkable. How much does this project, I mean, give me an estimate. All 613 mitzvahs, what are we talking? I would say somewhere between 10 and 13 million. I was thinking that. That's tremendous. So I assume a big part of your job is trying to uh, introduce this to potential donors and have them appreciate the impact, or do you have someone? I have to be honest with you. When it comes to finances, one of the things that I would say is the biggest bracha about what we do is is the appreciation that the community has. I'm talking about the wider Jewish community has for what we do. I have so many different foundations and philanthropists, people who really want to make a difference. And they say, you know what? We feel you're someone that we want to invest into. It's really, they look at it like an investment. You know, $10 million, $13 million, a lot of money. But if you think about how this is going to change education in the broader Jewish world, it's relatively to the billions that are being spent on Chinuch today, this is transformational. Yes, I think that we, we, I do have that responsibility of raising funds, but at the same time, I feel like it's the easier part of the job because mm-hmm. people coming to us and trying to, to squeeze money out of people, and when people do give, they're giving so generously because they really, really believe and see the impact. When you have a child who will learn on their own for five years, and can actually be tested. Not they were tested in year one on 89 mitzvahs, and then the next year they were tested on right. another 125 mitzvahs. At the end of the five years, you're actually spot testing them on any mitzvah in the whole Torah. Who does it apply to? Where does it apply? When does it apply? And you watch these Hidon events, and you see the way the children answer these questions. You want to be part of that. Do you get any pushback about the gamification of Torah? You're being mavaze the kudushos by turning it into a computer game. This is not how we learned in Europe. It's not how my rabbi taught me. And uh, if you make it too much fun, it takes away the Indian of Amelus and Asmode that they expect all learning to be uh, computerized. So first of all, it's a great question. I will tell you that there's actually a letter of the Rebbe that they wrote to the Rebbe in, from Kfar Chabad saying that they would like to introduce into Kfar Chabad blackboards back in the day. And they're writing to the Rebbe that it's not what, how we learned in Russia. Right. And the answer to that question is, is that at that time, that ability wasn't there. And now that this is an ability to be able to help with education, this is something that very much should be, should be used. And every tool is, that's available should be used. Now, obviously, I'm going to be very clear over here, that when the Rebbe had the approach of using television to be able to, quote-unquote, spread Torah to the whole world, he spoke adamantly against having a television in your house. Mm. So when the Rebbe encouraged the shiurim of having shiurim of Tanya on the radio, 
that didn't mean he was encouraging every Lubavitcher to have a radio in their house. So that we have to do things the right way. And I think that one of our very, very important parameters and rules that we lay down with our partnership with Torah VR is that the goggles need to become kosher goggles. cannot be Oculus goggles that any person can just buy on the streets and that because then you're actually, these people actually could have a very big taina, which is you're actually exposing the children to things that they would never have seen otherwise. And that's a very real argument. But if, which is what is happening is we create the kosher goggles where the only things on them will be the things with, with a heksher. That's a very important part. They have a heksher. And then the same way with food, you can determine, is this my heksher or not? And determine, do I want those on my goggles or not? That is something that's very, very important. But So in summary, using tools that Hashem is creating for chinuch is not a question that at the same time, then you're going to ask, what about learning from a sefer and b'shkida v'asmada on the contrary, once a child's actually put on the goggles and they saw it, they experienced it, they were there, then they open the safe, but they actually understand what they're learning and they'll love the book and they'll want it. So no, it's not to replace the book in any way whatsoever. And when people understand that and you see this with big rabbanim putting these goggles on, they don't see it as gamifying. They don't see it that way. They see it as a tool that is truly transforming. And I must say that Torah VR are, to me, the future of education. Not replacing education, but enhancing education. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share? We have, you know, just to finish up, do you have anything else you want to share that you think we didn't cover about the program that you think people should hear about? And also, please tell us how they find out more if people want to follow up with one of these programs how could people find out more about it and follow up with it? Yeah, so I think that one of the most beautiful things about the Rambam program, the, the, the Sefer HaMitzvah program, learning the, from the Yadus, is I would say that one of the Takanas, one of the programs that the Rebbe instituted was to learn either Sefer HaMitzvah or one parak of Rambam or three prakim of Rambam every day. And... Uh, what we've found is that when the children have this knowledge of their 613 mitzvahs, it truly enhances everything that they learn, whether it's the Chumash, when they learn about a mitzvah in Chumash in school, a teacher starts to teach about any topic in Torah, Kids and the know. child will introduce it to the class because they know it so well. Beautiful. When they're learning about something in Gemara, they know it. When they're learning about it in Mishnayis, they know it. And when they, or those who actually learn the Rambam every day, similarly, or they're learning Sefer HaMitzvah, it's truly enhancing their lives, uh, their learning in such an incredible way. So it's really an amazing program, as with all the other elements that we do with Sivas Hashem. We do have a website called thechidan.com. How do you spell that? T-H-E-C-H-I-D-O-N. Okay. com. And uh, like I said before, Tzivus Hashem is Hashem's army. It's we're all Jewish people 
goes back to the Torah by Etzim Ayyem Azeh, Yatsu called Sivis Hashem, Meyeris Mitzrayim. This is who we are. This is our identity. And as long as you're ready to sign up to fight and win your Yitzhahara and conquer the battle that Hashem entrusted us with, which will ultimately transform the world, we're ready. Come join us. Well, thank you, General Weinbaum, saluting off. It was a pleasure to hear your enthusiasm and to see that the reason they chose you many years ago for that enthusiasm hasn't waned one bit. And you're, I'm proud that you're, you're the general of this army because you're a worthy, worthy general. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to reciprocate and say I feel your energy too. Appreciate that a lot. And uh, I feel that when in children, they connect with that tremendously. So I'm sure the children in your school appreciate that tremendously. Amen. All the best. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. There is no doubt that General Weinbaum is truly a soldier of valor. Here is a man for years who has been building Chinuch, reaching out, taking a program from a very small group of, I think it was 40 in the Chidon, to 7,000 participants of all different shapes and sizes across the land. He has created remarkably professional materials. If you take a look at these books, they are exceptional. Take a look at the app, the website. And of course, now as he moves into a new frontier of the VR, we are all eagerly awaiting to see how that develops because VR is a fascinating educational tool that hasn't really been tapped at all by the Orthodox Jewish community in terms of chinuch. And here he is going to develop programs that will give our children opportunity to explore every mitzvah in the Torah. Amazing how he's so focused on making these programs available to all Jews. This is not a Chabad program, as he said many times. And in fact, it seems like the majority of participants are not part of the Chabad community. So I really hope that those listening avail themselves of these opportunities by going to the website, thechidon.com. And as I mentioned in my introduction, I really hope that non-Chabad families specifically who are unaware of Tziva Sashem and non-Chabad educators who wouldn't come across General Weinbaum and his programs now become aware of these great resources to both engage in and also learn from for any other educational programs that they might be developing. Thank you so much for joining us. Anyone who's involved with podcasts know that sharing is caring. So please feel free to share our podcast as we grow our listenership. We have well over a thousand listens so far, Baruch Hashem, and hopefully we will keep growing. If you have any questions, comments, or guest ideas, please feel free to share them at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. This is Yerach Garfield wishing you a wonderful day.